But Dan, my parents don't support my dreams. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to cover all of those points. Golly, we have questions today about changing careers, about how to move into a new direction. So if you need a tune-up, if you're looking for a new option, if your parents don't support your dreams, we're going to address all that and more. Here's some questions we're going to be looking at. Why didn't my school encourage me to follow my passion? Dan, I've been unemployed since May. Should I start my own business? Here's one. I'm 40 plus trying to make a career switch from administrative assistant to teaching. And then, of course, we're going to discuss what do you do when your parents don't support your dreams? And somebody asks, essentially, why shouldn't my son get a degree in game design? Pick some on something that I addressed last week. Well, we'll be talking about those and more. A quotation for today comes from Zig Ziglar, who says, don't let someone who gave up on their dreams talk you out of going after yours. Whoa. All right. And our resource for today is our goal planning system. Brand new for 2020. Just go to 48days.com slash goals. Got a couple free resources for you there. And I encourage you to be completing that. Don't let the new year just sneak up on you. Just show up and offer what it wants to. No, you decide now what you want it to look like. And then walk it out. Create a plan to bring it into reality. You know, in this this topic, we're going to talk about my parents don't support my dreams. I put that in just in a Google search just a second ago just to see uh, see if it was a common question. I got 48,800,000 results. Kind of a nice number there, 48. 48 million results when I put in my parents don't support my dreams. Do you think that's a common issue? Yes, it is appears that it is. Well, last week I talked about uh, finding that balance between being content and not greedy. Got a lot of response on that uh, from people, that sense that you can be content with your life as it is now. That doesn't mean you aren't doing anything to make it move forward into bigger and better opportunities. And it doesn't mean you're greedy if you choose to do that. Well, anyway, check out last week's if you haven't listened to it. But a lot of people were moved and touched by that and hopefully inspired to uh, keep moving on. Doesn't mean that you're always just in a state of unrest or dissatisfaction. You can be content with where you are and still be optimistic about what's coming in the future. Well, thanks for your feedback on that. Got some good news. Well, one of the big things that just happened this last week, I'm sure you're aware of it, was this 34-year-old Kenyan dude who broke two hours for a marathon. I mean, that's pretty outrageous. Golly. I mean, I know people who are trying to break 3.30, three hours and 30 minutes, and that's a really great time. This guy broke two hours? I mean, it's just, that's incredible. 
golly, that means he had to have a, an average speed of 4.33 per mile in order to do that. Well, it reminds me, you, you're familiar with the old story about Roger Bannister, who broke the four-minute mile. That was on May 6, back in 1954, so a very long time ago. Well, that was a big deal because there were people who said it could not be done. There were doctors who said that the human heart would explode if you actually broke a four-minute mile. Well, then he did it. That was on May 6th of 1954. You know that on June 21st, 1954, I mean, a month later, another guy had a better time rather than the 359.4 that Roger Bannister had. uh, John Landry did it in 3.57.9. Now, here's what happens. Watch what happens with the marathon now that this guy has broken two hours. Guess what the new goal is for everybody who's serious about that? Well, sure, it's going to be that. Do you think anybody else will ever do that in history? You better believe it. When Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile, golly, that mean somebody else a month later broke it. And about two months later, there were eight college runners who all broke the four-minute mile. Sometimes there's a barrier that it seems to be real when it really isn't. And once somebody proves the ability to break it, I mean, look at like going to the moon or swimming the English Channel. We could go on and on with things where people said it's impossible and then somebody does it and all of a sudden others jump on. So anyway, congratulations to this guy, 34 years old, who broke the four minute or broke the two hour marathon. Love that. Well, here's got some tips for you in terms of uh, making money and uh, new careers you may have not have thought about. So we'll jump right into those here as we're working our way into the questions as well. Now, there's there's new things showing up all the time, and I, and I like when odd things show. I mean, think about the pet rock and things like that that just seem to be ridiculous, and yet somebody ends up making a whole lot of money. Well, we see those things all the time. Here's a brand new one: Jesus shoes. Yeah, you heard me right. Jesus shoes. Now, we know we've seen a lot of innovation in the sneaker market. Golly, when I grew up, you know, we got Converse. You know, you pay nine bucks for them at the local hardware store and whatever. That was it. There wasn't much innovation. And now we've got all these really cool running shoes. Well, these are Jesus shoes that are actually filled with holy water and scented with frankincense. They sold out immediately. And now they're selling, they, they were selling for $3,000. Resale on those is above that. Well, I don't need to comment on the any anything theological on that. It is what it is, but uh, it shows that there's an opportunity for things that seem to be weird that would not make sense in any scope of the imagination, and yet somebody does it. Wow, three grand for Jesus shoes. Well, here we also know, you know, CBD has been becoming really popular, legal now in most states, and um, all kinds of products, lotions, potions, things you ingest, rub on you and all that. So somebody's come up with a CBD-infused sports bra. All right? You could take it for what it is. Somehow that's supposed to help you. CBD-infused sports bra, it's 125 bucks. You can check it out, the High Life Collection. Well, new ideas. I love seeing new things that come down the pike. You probably are sitting right on top of an idea. You know, Brian Tracy says that most of us have three to four ideas a year that would make us millionaires if we did something with them. 
But we usually think, ah, yeah, somebody's probably already done it or whatever. If it's a better mousetrap or a Frisbee or hula hoop, you know, you'd be surprised the new ideas that are still coming down the pike being developed every day that are making people extremely wealthy. Well, here's one. This is a, this is a career issue. The number of female truck drivers has increased by 68% since 2010. Now think about that. It's real. Well, the trucks have gotten much easier to drive. I mean, most of them have automatic transmissions. Of course, they got power steering and all of that. So it's not like you have to be some big rugged dude to drive a truck. It's not that difficult. So anyway, women are moving into that position. Um, the pay is pretty equal because there's really no difference there. So they're seeing that it, it's, there's not the disparity that there is in a lot of profession where women make a lot less. No, women seem to do pretty well in trucking. The average salary for a truck driver in the United States is $1,108 per week. So that's going to be $55,000 a year if you take a couple weeks off. Now that's an average. There are a whole lot of truckers that are making a whole lot more than that. I mean, they're truck drivers in Park, Kansas, in a specialty area that are making $450,000 a year driving truck. So it's just, it's one of those things, it's open to anybody. You know, I've often fantasized about that. We'll be driving down the road and I'll tell Joanne, Kelly, wouldn't it be cool if we just, you know, drove as a couple? Now she doesn't like driving, so it'd be just me driving, but you know, just tour the country in some big fancy rig where you just jump up in the back to sleep for a while. Well, I'm sure I'd get tired of that real quick. And she assures me that I would. And certainly I'm probably not going to do that, but it's one of those things that does seem kind of cool. You know, I like big engines and I like trucks and to just be out there in an open road seems pretty appealing. Well, here's another idea. Now this is a business idea that, uh, again, one of those things that you would simply overlook, never, ever think about. There's a lady in California who's doing over a million dollars a year by reselling old mannequins. Now, she's been doing this a long time. She refers to herself as the mannequin queen. Um, she was actually, her name is Judy Townsend, and she is the nation's premier mannequin broker. Now, here's the deal. She happened into a little shop. About 20 years ago, she's been doing this a long time. She's So she happened into a little shop. The guy had a few mannequins there, and he said he was getting ready to move from California to Vermont, just wanted to get rid of them, and she ended up buying what he had. Paid she, He had 50 mannequins. She paid $2,500. Not really knowing what she was going to do, but she said she just felt in her gut that there would be a need for mannequin rental. So she just decided it'd be a little side business for her. Well, it very quickly grew. She realized that uh, now she has 50 mannequins. She better figure out what to do with those. So she found that, yes, people would rent them, but also stores would buy them. I mean, when you think about it, mannequin's a mannequin. You put clothes on it to display your clothes and stores buy these. So she gets them from stores. And here, here's what she discovered. Department stores were thrilled to find someone to take the old mannequins off their hands. They're typically purchased new from manufacturers in China. They're used in stores for about five to seven years before getting replaced with new ones, at which point they would often pay $800 
in disposal fees to have them carted off to a landfill. So she shows up and says, I'll take, take them for free. I'll just get them off your hands. So she gets her inventory for nothing, essentially. Now, you think about this. Just a couple of weeks ago, I talked about some of the stores that are closing, Forever 21 being one of those. Well, she is one of those who is, uh, knows, knows what's going on there. For, Forever 21 filed for bankruptcy protection last month. They plan to close up to 180 U.S. locations. That's a whole lot of mannequins. So she rents them. She sells them. Now, you may th- think, well, retail stores are really slowing down, so there's not as much demand. Well, kind of, sort of. Retail stores are slowing down, so they're more conscious with their expenditures, which make them hire candidates for what she has. Also, think about the hundreds of thousands of people that are selling on Amazon and eBay. Well, guess what? If you're selling a shirt or a dress, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know it sells a whole lot better if you display it on a mannequin. So there's a whole lot of individuals who are looking for mannequins because it helps them increase the sale. Take a picture of what you're selling. It may be used Banana Republic clothing, but it rather than just describing it and showing it in a stack or fold it up, it, it sells a whole lot better if you show it on a mannequin. Well, just one of those ideas. Again, you are probably sitting on top of three or four similar ideas that have that kind of opportunity if you just kept your eyes open, recognized it, and put a plan of action in place. I commend Judy Townsend and what what she's doing, being the mannequin queen. Love it. All right, here, gentlemen, ask about a career reboot. He says, Dan. Uh, I've been working in the personal finance arena for roughly 15 years. I bounced around in insurance, private banking, financial planning, and so on. Not even starting my own business sparked a passion in me for this kind of work. After some soul searching, I realized I've always been fascinated with science, specifically the environmental sciences. I remember at a young age that I was nurtured to explore science, but never after that. Sometimes when I'm utterly frustrated with where my career is going or not going, I find myself blaming my school system for letting this slip through the cracks. But this isn't me. I own my mistakes and work to correct them. My wife, kids, and I are looking to relocate to the Washington, D.C. area where her specific career will find will likely flourish. I've applied to 30 positions, some in the personal finance industry, some with agencies focused on environmental science. I'm trying to find the right way to transition from finance to a career in science. This will no doubt require me going back to school, but getting my foot in the door at one of these agencies seems to be a step in the right direction. Any advice on such a drastic career change at this stage in my life? Well, yes, I just happen to have some opinions on that. Love your question. Love what you're trying to do. And there's a whole lot of other people listening right now who are in the same kind of thing. Gee, they followed a career path that was um, recommended because it was practical and realistic rather than doing something. Eh, there's not as many job opportunities there. I mean, I know a whole lot of nurses who wanted to be artists, musicians, interior designers, but parents said, no, those are unpredictable career areas. You need to do something where you'll never be without a job. And there's a whole lot of frustrated nurses as a result. They have jobs, but no passion. It just doesn't work. So here's the deal. So you want to change. You've gotten into you know finances because it's kind of a doable area. Now, I went back, just based on your email, I went back and checked and see that you have um, 
Bachelor of Business Administration degree. So that's pretty general. So it doesn't prevent you from moving into a new area. It doesn't pigeonhole you just in finance. It's general enough. You can go in any direction you want. So if we look at the kind of things that are in environmental science, you know, agriculture engineer, golly, you could be archaeologist, be in bioinformatics, climatologist, ecologist, geographer. We go on and on with the things that are happening in that arena. But let me suggest some options rather than you just trying to get a job in environmental science. If you've been on your own, had your own business, like you obviously do in financial services, you're probably already used to an income that is going to be tough to duplicate by just getting a job in environmental science. I mean, we know the jobs that come to mind in that arena, you know, are going to be $40,000, $50,000 a year jobs for the most part. They're not going to give you the opportunity to really knock it out of the park financially. However, what if you took your skill, your background, your experience in having a business and look for the things that you could do that would put you really right inside the most cutting edge things that are happening in environmental science? Now, I pulled something up just as an example, just pulled up products that are emerging in environmental science. There are thousands of them. Here's one that is, uh, it's this electronic thing that cleans the air ducts in your house. So you just plug it in, pretty easy to install, it looks like. It's the Zephyr Duct Mount Air Purifier. It removes harmful and dangerous air pollutants by using powerful ultraviolet lights and its photocatalytic process, it reduces mold, bacteria, allergens, and germs. Okay, let's just, so, so there's a product. Wow, what if you sold that product? It's something that you probably really believe in. You can describe the benefits because you're really into environmental sciences, and now you're distributed for this product. Well, the product sells for $311. You know, you could probably buy them for $150, double your money, and just start selling them. You know, I've talked recently about, you know, one of the guys in, in the 48 Days Eagles community, Michael Tidwell, who was looking for something that would be, kind of leverage an interest of his and give him an opportunity to make a little money in the side. And he started selling towel warmers, which is his one product offering that he has. And it's turned into a nice $200,000 net profit a year, little side business for him. You know, look at those kind of things rather than thinking you've got to slow down, go back to school. I mean, that's going to be a really big opportunity cost. I really doubt that you're going to find that that gives you much leverage to just go back to school. Now, here's here's another kind of example I want to give you. I'm working right now on the new edition, which will be the 20th anniversary edition of 48 Days to the Work You Love. But I talk in there, and I know I've mentioned him on the podcast before, but a young guy named Josh, who went from being a blacksmith to being a $100,000 a year software developer. Over a period of seven months, he spent seven months spending 20 hours a week studying free online courses and tutorials. Never paid for a course, never got a college degree. He was homeschooled all the way through high school, degree that he had, never set foot in the college. And then he went on from there. You know, he says after he landed his job, got the job that he did, he started having all these people emailing him wondering how he did that. So he wrote a little book. The book did really well. Then he turned it into a course and it goes on and on. But he says, 
I, I got a recent note from him. He says, I'm not allowed to say exactly how much I make currently because we know the company that he works at. Suffice it to say, it's more than when I first got hired. In fact, my boss had to write a special letter to justify hiring me since I didn't have a degree. The position called for seven years of experience and a four-year computer science degree, neither of which he had. He had no experience and no degree. It just goes to show that passion, real-world skills, and experience can open many unexpected doors. That's what I want you to hear. You want to change from finance to environmental science? There's no barriers to that. There's nothing stopping you. But be careful about just applying for those traditional jobs. Be innovative. But if you have, like Josh says here, it shows that passion, real-world skills, and experience can open many unexpected doors. I just want to encourage your listeners. He says that your advice truly works. If they take action, never give up, and don't get discouraged along the journey toward their dream, it'll come into reality. Well, I include that in the new version, but this is so true. This is the current day approach to the workplace and changing careers, which people are doing every day. If you want a traditional job, there are plenty available, but if you but don't see yourself as just an employee. See yourself as an independent business person and then start to look at all the options you have ahead of you where you could move right into environmental science and love what you do. Hey, it's not too late, but again, you probably don't have to slow down, go get another degree. I think you probably have the real life experience and the passion that you need to move right into that. Have fun. Give us an update. Well, Rachel says... Dan, can you please help me choose? I'm 40 plus trying to make a career switch from being an administrative assistant to teaching. I was a classroom teacher over 20 years ago for a short time. This is the only job that made me look forward to Mondays. My concern is how do I monetize this? As the only breadwinner in my family, how do I make teaching into a business? My house values are education and achievement. I have a master's in leadership, a master's in education, and currently sign up to do a doctorate in education. I just love school. But I feel a pull towards starting an online business or something like that. Should I forsake the doctorate and pursue business? I'd cry (laughs) or do both at the same time. I have the energy most days, thought about career coaching, but hate Facebook. Please help me decide. Wow, you throw a lot of variables in there. Uh, Rochelle, well, you you can do this switch. Now, here's where you can how here's how you can do this, and it's kind of like what I just described to the previous listener. When you say you want to switch from administrative administrative assistant to teaching, the first thing that may come to mind is thirty two kids sitting in their seats in straight rows, you know, in a middle school, and you've got sixth graders. That's just one tiny, tiny example on the spectrum of what's available under the category of teaching. You could be living in Acapulco, you know, teaching the kids of people that work at Google that are located there. And so you've got six kids and you're paid extremely well because you're teaching, you know, these uh, kids of high level executives. I mean, you can, here's another example. I recently worked with a gentleman pastor, Baptist pastor, 59 years old, has PhD, felt trapped in doing that, overwhelmed with the unrealistic demands, resigned, said, I've got to figure something else out. So we looked at what are your highest value skills? Well, he's really good at being in the pulpit on Sunday. 
that exhorting, teaching, persuading, motivating, really good. I said, well, there's a lot of opportunities to do that. He now is working with a company. It's one of these companies, I won't mention the name, but it's one of these companies where they blitz in a market like Nashville, Tennessee, they'll send out 100,000 flyers and say, we're going to be having a one-day workshop on how to hire, how to screen and hire your best applicants. You know, it's $189, show up. This guy, this gentleman that I worked with, he got hired as a trainer with them, committed to 10 days a month, 10 days a month. Now he feels like he's on vacation, you know, no Saturdays or Sundays, no evenings, Nobody calling at 3 a.m. because their teenager didn't come home. I mean, he really, 10 days a month. He's paid approximately $2,000 a day. That's 20 grand a month. That's, you know, $240,000 a year. That's more than he ever dreamed of making as a pastor. That's an example of taking skills that you have and just looking for a unique opportunity that falls under the category of teaching. You want to teach, train, motivate, inspire. Wow, when you include those kind of terms and look at the opportunities for doing that, it can be kindergartners, it can be second graders, it can be high schoolers, university kids, or it can be adults. So balance that when you say, uh, how do you monetize this? You know, how can, well, if you just go back to teaching, yeah, and you get a job that pays 40000 a year, that may be pretty tough to make work as a family provider. But if teaching is really your passion, you want to do it, golly, the world is wide open with opportunities, things that you could do that fall under the category of teaching. Well, wow. Hey, we're blasting through questions here. Got a couple more I want to get to. But just a reminder, these are real world, real life questions from people like you, you and I, who are out here trying to make things work, finding opportunities. We need to have the eyes to see new opportunities. If you got a success story you want to share or a question you'd like us to unpack here, I'd love to see that. Just shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. Again, the email is askdan at 48days.com. Well, what do you do when your parents don't support your dreams? Let's talk about this one. This comes from Gabrielle. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. I look forward to it every week. I'd like to start by saying thank you for all the encouraging, inspiring content, although I have many questions for myself that I'd like to ask you. I'm actually writing to ask a question on behalf of my boyfriend. In the past two years that we've been dating, I've seen him very unhappy in his job. We're both in our mid-20s. I work as a federal contractor for the State Department. He's in public accounting, and he hates it. He dreads going to work, and it puts him in a terrible mood. The only times I see him happy are on the weekends. For a long time, he thought he was stuck because his bachelor's and his master's are both in accounting. No student debt for him, thankfully. However, with a lot of encouragement and support from me and a great deal of motivation from listening to your podcast, he decided to pursue a different career path as a fitness and nutrition specialist. He completed a series of certifications in fitness, started working as a trainer part-time, which he loves, and he's even been offered a position as a director at our local gym. The problem is he's reluctant to take the job out of fear that his parents will alienate him. They're very against him leaving accounting to pursue a career in fitness coaching. He's been with this company for three years and they think it's illogical that he wants to leave a company which pays well and offers good benefits, even if it means he would be happier. I'm wondering if you have any advice on this subject. 
especially since you shared your story of how you pursued your interest in spite of your parents' disapproval. Kind regards, Gabby. Wow. Well, this rings a bell with a whole lot of people. As I already said, a quick Google search shows 48 million sites when I put in, my parents don't support my dreams. Let me just say this. Time and success are wonderful healers in relationships. Now, you mentioned, you know, my background. Yeah, you know, my dad was a farmer. And when I graduated from high school, the expectation, the obligation, the only option was for me to join him in the farming operation, which I'd been doing since I was old enough to walk anyway. So it was just to continue, but now full-time without having the distractions of school. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I don't want to be doing this 20 years from now. I don't, I don't want to be doing this a year from now. I want to go to school. He was very against it. I started going to Ohio State University classes at night after all the farm work was over. Finally, I did reach a point. I actually got sick. got mononucleosis, couldn't recover, and uh, was sleeping 18 hours a day. And my doctor told me, you know, you, you can't do both. You can't do this. You can't continue doing work for your dad and trying to go to school, make all these things work. You're killing yourself. When I just made a decision, my dad, a very painful time. But as I say, time and success are wonderful healers in relationships. I did go on to college, went on to graduate school, went on to pursue my doctoral work, got into writing, speaking, coaching, things he never really fully understood. You know, how in the world do you make money? You know, he understood milking Holstein cows and taking the milk to market. You get paid for that. That's a real tangible product. But to get paid for thinking, for writing, for speaking, for just talking to people, How's that work? Well, but over time, you know, he became totally supportive, you know, proud beyond description of the things that I was doing. You know, he'd have a TV on in the nursing home in his final days, you know, and see me on there doing an interview. And he had books in his room that he'd show to his friends and all that. So anyway, yeah, time certainly does that. Now, let me come back to your question here, Gabby. You say you're both in your 20s. So I've got some questions. Who is paying for his rent? Who's contributing to his 401k? How about buying a car? Who's paying for that? Who's paying the insurance, putting gas in the tank? Who buys the groceries every week, picks up the tab for eating out? Who's buying his clothes and paying for his ongoing courses that he needs even to stay current in accounting? Now, if the answer to any of those questions is his parents, uh, then we got a different issue here. But if the answer to all of those is he does, then it seems he should be able to make his own decision about how he spends his time and how he generates his income. Now, again, if he goes into sports training, fitness and nutrition specialist, if he excels in that, golly, and he's you know, the next person who's got some wild exercise program that goes nuts and he makes $10 million, his parents are probably going to forget about their opposition. Success just has a way of doing that. But now here's just some points I want to kind of identify, four or five things for here. We need to allow our parents to have their opinions. 
I mean, understand a lot of them were raised in a different generation. I mean, my parents were raised in a different generation than I, for sure. I mean, I was seeing the explosion of all the technology that they didn't have access to, didn't understand. I mean, that opens up new opportunities, new ideas, new career possibilities than what they had. I mean, I understand, you know, they're doing the best that they can with what they know about their opportunities, but don't let them snuff out your dreams. What all ends up, it'll end up with a strained, resentful relationship on both sides. There's no winning in that. Now, rather than, you know, just saying I'm out of here, no, I kind of did that. Acknowledge their opinions and perspectives. But Kelly, you've described beautifully how your boyfriend is moving into this on the side, getting certifications, credentials, doing this, building it up. If he builds up, like I often talk about, if he builds up by doing that on the side where he's generating 50% of his current income, doing accounting work, I think he's home free to make the total switch. But you've got to stay, number two in my points here, you've got to stay true to yourself and your dreams. The worst thing that he can possibly do is let his parents' fears about this new direction become his own. You've got to stay in touch with your dreams, your reasons for pursuing this career path. I mean, ultimately, you know, you're not going to be living in the same house, even if he is now. I don't know that. But, you know, you've got to be creating your own life, not just mimicking the replication of your parents' life. Now, one of the things that adds to this, gives us the freedom, is obviously being responsible. If he's living at home and they're eating their food, uh, that's a problem. But if he's out on his own, show your ability to live independently and support yourself financially. So you're not leaning on them. So you show that following your dreams is providing for you sufficiently financially. So you're going to be fine. Another point, work hard. I mean, be committed to your career, to developing yourself creatively, in this area, professionally and personally. You know, do things to move your career forward every day. With what you're talking about, being an expert again in fitness and nutrition, wow, if you, you know, wrote a book, developed a course, you could develop a course, offered for $29. Well, if you got a couple thousand people that like that course and come on, you've probably generated what you would make in a year working as an accountant. I mean, there's so many opportunities to build around your dream and expand on it. And then the last point I've got is just simply have fun. I mean, you, you cannot, you'll destroy yourself. Literally you'll destroy yourself. Your body will deteriorate. If you hate the work that you're doing, you can't make that sacrifice. My friend Sean Eskinosi was a defense, criminal defense attorney in St. Louis. Never lost a case that went to jury trial. He was incredibly well-known as an attorney and incredibly wealthy as a result. And he says he knew he was dying every day. He knew he was going to die if he continued doing the career that everybody else saw as so successful. He unplugged from that took some time off, spent some time in a monastery, re-engineered himself. He now is a high-end chocolatier manufacturer. I love his, the Eskinosi chocolates is my kind of high-end gift that I give. 
uh, when somebody does an interview with me or whatever, that's kind of my high-end gift to them. But he totally repositioned himself. And he, now he, this is not just another competitor of Nestle's or something like that. You know, he is so involved with the growers of the coffee beans. He provides school lunches in the towns where the coffee beans are grown. So he's developed this really heartfelt career direction for himself after having been a high-level criminal defense attorney. And, and do you think his parents are proud? I don't know. I ought to ask him. I'm not sure if his parents support. I suspect they might have been resistant to him leaving his position as a well-known, reputable, high-income earning attorney. You're going to leave that to make chocolate? Are you nuts? Well, now the company is doing extremely well. You know, his parents may have eased off, which is what happens. As they say, success is the greatest revenge. Go ahead, follow your dream. Let your success pave the way to healing those relationships. Well, this comes from Chris, who says, I've been unemployed since May of this year. I've recently read your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love, been listening to your podcast. Uh, My question is this. Recently, I was invited to a convention regarding a new type of work. I had a great time. Find the industry great. One of my friends is telling me to open my own business in the area. I believe I have the mentality that understands owning of a business and all the work that comes with it. I just find it hard to make the jump from being in a different industry to owning my own company in a flash. I have a small amount for a startup sitting in an IRA. What would you suggest? Well, there are way too many unknowns here. Now, you know, Chris, I'm a big believer in having your own business. Totally, totally. Get excited about that. Talk to people every day who are doing that. But this is not just a walk in the park. This is not just deciding now. I haven't been able to get a job, so I'm going to just start my own business. Yes, we do have a lot of what we call accidental entrepreneurs. People who have been looking for work, not able to find something that really fits. But we don't want this to be just a knee-jerk response to not being able to get a job. There are way too many challenges in having your own business to think that it's going to work just because you felt like you were forced into it. There has to be, as we talk about in the Eagles community every day, right mindset, right idea, and right network. So this new business, does it blend your talents, your passions, your personality traits, your dreams? Do you have a clear plan for making money? And if it meets that criteria, by all means, go ahead and do it. You may be thankful that you weren't able to to get a job. But be very, very careful about just grabbing something that you just looked at and somebody else is saying, hey, you ought to do that. If you're going to do a business, what I want you to do is I want you to make a list of 20 things that you know you could do in business. 20 things, not just one. Then take what you know about yourself Use that as a filter, narrow that list down to four or five really great ideas, do a little bit more research, choose one and act. If what you are looking at now makes it through that process where it's one of the 20, it's one of the four or five, and it ends up being the very best, fantastic. But don't make what you see first your only choice. There are, I'm confident, 100 ideas out there that are just as good as what you're looking at. 
Again, not knowing exactly what you are looking at, I still can say that with absolute 100% confidence. There are 100 ideas that would be equally as good. The key is, does it fit you? I mean, think about the people that get into direct sales or network marketing or multi-level marketing, whatever you want to call it. I mean, there are tons of people. Last night, uh, Joanne and I ran into a lady who has, is providing her in the family income because she's in Norex. You know, they have these fancy towels and washcloths. I got a chamois to clean my car. You know, they now have sheets. I mean, all these things. Fan- she's doing it because she has proven herself to have the skills needed to be successful in that. And we've got other friends, another couple who rose to the top in doTERRA in a matter of months because they're extremely skilled at motivating, getting people excited to come on board and be part of their team. There are a whole lot of other people where in as much as that biz, those kind of businesses have made people millionaires again and again and again, for most people, it's not a fit at all. They don't have the personal skills, the personality match that make that kind of business a good fit for them. So it doesn't matter how great the company is, how great the product is, the business model doesn't fit them. That's what you have to look at. You have to look at, does this fit me with what I know about myself? Now, let me wrap up here. I got, got a response from a dad. Last week I talked about, I actually talked about, I think it was Cliff Ravenscraft who just spent a week on Colorado somewhere with his son. He wants to be a game designer. They're working on that and he's moving right into that. Now, remember I talked about the, the kid who was a blacksmith, homeschooled, blacksmith, and then he taught himself to be a software developer in seven months by just watching free online YouTube videos, tutorials, so on, and then went out and got a $100,000 job. My input last week, well, let me read this response from a dad here. I heard your response to the gentleman in Fremont, Nebraska, and his decision to major in game design, wanted to give you and your listeners a different perspective. My 19-year-old son is a freshman at Grandview University and um, majoring in game design. I think he's making the right decision. For starters, ever since he was small, he's always loved both board and video games, which led him to start analyzing elements of games such as themes, setting, character creation. He goes on and on with, oh, okay. So he emailed the head of the program, asking what books he should be reading to better prepare for studies in game design and read every one of them. About a year ago, he started a YouTube channel, which focuses on game analysis and game theory. Like every other parent, I was concerned about the cost going to college, but his dream is to work as a game designer. And I do not want to deny him that dream. In a very fortunate turn of events, my wife was offered a position as a nursing instructor at the university, which then offers free college tuition to family members as a benefit. Yeah, my son's also networking with the owners of video game studios in the Des Moines area, which is encouraging to me because it shows that there are people locally in our area who have the same passion about game design and are channeling that passion to successful businesses. After doing some research, I discovered that the video game industry makes more money than the film industry and people are spending a billion dollars a year on board games. Everyone is playing games in their computers, televisions, and their cell phones. Thank you for creating such a great podcast. It's also very useful and very inspirational listen every week. Sincerely, Steve. Man, thank, thanks for your note. And I really appreciate your heart as a dad for helping your, your son move into this. My, my point when I talked about this last week was that I'm not sure it requires a college degree 
to be seen as credible in the world of game design. Now I know, and I know you know as well, you know, there are 13 years old, 13 year olds out there who are pretty stinking skilled in game design. I'm not sure that it's a college degree that assures somebody's success in that arena. I don't know. Let's just think about this a little bit. I don't want to negate at all what you're saying. If you find a good fit, I'm, I'm thrilled. But universities try to catch up with what the real world is already doing. They tend not to be the innovators and leaders. If they see that game design is exploding out here and there are billions of people, I mean, billions of dollars being spent and hundreds of thousands of people that are doing that and thousands that are showing up in conferences, yeah, they're going to jump in there and say, oh, we're going to train you in that. But it's a catch up to what's already happening in the real world with a lot of people leading the way already who didn't take the time to get a college degree. I mean, that's really my point. When we think about people like Michael Dell and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, you know, they, they got into college, started understanding this world of the computer world. They didn't look for courses that lined up. They left college because they were innovating in the very thing they wanted to develop. When we look at entrepreneurship, I mean, most any university now has a program in entrepreneurship because we've, see, we've seen hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people move into doing their own thing rather than just coming out of school and looking for that J-O-B. So they're doing innovative things. We've seen the demise of these big, big companies that employ hundreds of thousands of people, and we're seeing the explosion of these little mom and pop businesses that are showing up that may have two or three employees. And so universities said, oh, we better be teaching about entrepreneurship. So they jumped on the bandwagon. Now, can they do a good job? Well, sure they can. But when it comes to things like sustainable businesses, I mean, things that are happening in environmental sciences, as an example, like we were talking about earlier, the things that are happening with solar energy, uh, you know, wind energy, the innovation in there is not coming out of universities. It's coming with people who are really doing it in the field. So I'm just saying, yeah, you know, going to college to get a, again, it, it's, it's fine, but I am not convinced that it's a required part of the development path to be taken seriously as a game designer. Well, a lot of things would fit into that category. Obviously, that's just kind of a general example. There's a whole lot of things where we can make that decision. Again, when I talk about this, I mean, I get a lot of feedback from people about my views about college. And again, I spent a lot of time in college. Boy, for me, it was a great door opener to bigger and better opportunities coming off a farm in Ohio. Uh, things have changed. Times have changed. Uh, my, I have three children uh, one went to college as multiple degrees Two, my two sons did not. Are they uneducated? Are they, you know, struggling because they don't have any career opportunities? Uh, no, not exactly. Or do you've heard enough description about what they're doing? That's certainly not the case. They can go in any direction that they want to because of the real education that they got did not come by sitting in a seat in a classroom, but from other real life experiences. Well, let me just wrap up with this. My goodness, got a whole lot of whole lot of interesting things here that we want to kind of wrap up. Don't be stuck in a J-O-B for sure. Now our quotation for today, as you recall, was Zig Ziglar, don't let someone who gave up on their dreams talk you out of going after yours. You know, I, I ran into that so much here in Nashville, Tennessee. 
This is where music originates. Gospel music, country music, hymns, all kinds of music originates right here. There are a whole lot of people that come here because of their passion for music and wanting to be big in that. There's a whole lot of people here who will tell you, yeah, it can't be done. You know, Taylor Swift, yeah, she's just lucky. You know, Justin Bieber, just lucky. You know, uh, Keith Urban, yeah, just lucky. You know, they'll tell you it can't be done. You know what? Those people are telling you they weren't able to do it. That's all that that says. They weren't able to do it. So don't let someone who gave, who tried and wasn't able to make it work talk you out of going in the same direction. You're a different person. Don't let someone who gave up their dreams talk you out of going after yours. Again, a resource for today, go to 48days.com slash goals. I'm going to be talking about that a lot in the upcoming weeks because this is the time. You want to have your goals in place by November 14th. That's when I do. That's 48 days before the new year starts. Great time to have a clear vision of what you want the new year to be. I hope you are clear what you want the new year to be. You can be in the driver's seat. If it's a career change, redirection, getting a job, starting your own business. Wow. You are in the driver's seat. Great time. Make those decisions about what you want it to be. Move in that direction. Thanks for being part of this growing community where we are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. 